further look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you again that as we gather together in this place this day, as we gather to hear your word, as we gather to think upon the Lord Jesus as our ultimate example of how to witness, how to evangelize, how to bring the message of your good news. We pray, Lord, that something of your Holy Spirit and the Word of God will just commingle together to bring about uh, fresh understanding, fresh fruit for Jesus. Lord, we want to see him. We thank you again that as we've been gathering together, uh, we've reminded again of how important it is to come uh, with a heart that's laid down before you. And so we pray, Lord, that you might indeed uh, guide and direct to the extent that you might receive the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last couple of days, Becky and I had a wonderful time with our youngest grandchildren, the twins. They're nine months old almost now. And mom and dad spent a brief holiday. We had a wonderful time and first morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, we got a phone call from our daughter asking, how did I sleep? She said, I slept like a baby. Oh, she said, I hope not. You probably had to wake up every two hours then. And uh, we said, no, actually, my dear wife, your mom, was up and I was kind of rolling over. And uh, So I have to say that my hat's off to... Becky, to all those mums who tirelessly care for children, make personal sacrifice every day for the betterment of their families. And uh, Mother's Day is coming next week, so in honor of mothers, daughters, and women here today who consistently go the extra mile for their families, I want to pay tribute to you. Your love and devotion make you a person of great worth and dignity. In this day and age, both are probably working make, to make it diligently the finances fit. Whether a mom outside the home or inside, it takes a lot of planning and sacrifice to make a house a home. I, I don't agree with those who say marriage is like a workshop. Dad works and mom shops. When I was a boy, my mom used to have one of those mood rings. Do you remember those? When she was in a good mood, it turned blue. When she was in a bad mood, my forehead ran red. Well, that's not really true, but uh, there are many today that are leaving marriage. Even in church circles, there's increased pressures just to call it quits. That's the easy road. We are falling victim to the philosophy of the day. It's called the disposable society. We dispose of diapers, coffee cups, cutlery, plates, soup bowls, smart TVs, and yes, relationships. We want to run away from our problems. Well, running away doesn't help you with your problems, unless you're overweight. Then run, run for it, run. As disciples and followers of Jesus, we are in a constant state of challenge. The world currently has its views, and then what the Bible teaches has its views, and they are rarely together. Truly, as we look at this topic of the Great Commission, we will discover that in Old Testament evangelism, in Jesus' example, in Peter's, John's, and in all the sessions that we'll be having, 
we will discover that it is not like you thought. And that's the good news. In fact, Paul says that over and over again. Jesus witnessed with a gall. Paul did the same. And this is why he would say to us this way. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take every day, ordinary life, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. How often I found myself doing that. Just slip into something. Instead, fix your attention on God. Then you'll be changed from the inside out. See, the world is constantly trying to shape us into its mold. It's constantly trying to tell us we need to say these expressions. Just saying. Just putting it out there. It is what it is. How many times have we said those things even this past week without even consciously thinking about it? And every, if you want to do an interesting study, I don't know how much value there is in it, but it proves the point that every generation from the 50s onward, they've cataloged it, and every generation has their expressions. And these are just some of the ones that are going on right now. But one of the problems we have with witnessing is we really want to be like Jesus, but we forget that the people we're talking to aren't like Jesus. And so we're talking Jesus' language to people that are of another language. It's like going into a foreign culture and telling them Jesus loves you, and they go, I don't speak your language, I'm sorry. And that's one of the challenges. We have four major challenges I'd like to suggest, four attitudes which affect our witness for Jesus. And uh, they were found in the scriptures as well as Jesus witnessed for his father. The first attitude, I don't believe in sin. How many times you spark, you're talking to somebody and you're discussing problems about sin. They go, sin? You mean you really believe in that archaic concept? You really believe that there's right and wrong, that there are absolutes, that, that there is a standard that we have to abide by? Come on, get with the 21st century. We're way beyond that. And you know what? The majority of the people we're talking to, we're interacting with, we're relating with, hold this view. I don't believe it. And of course, there are so many that hold this view. Independence today, it's the norm. Be your own self. Do your own thing. I did it my way. You know, that is the theme of our generation. I don't need your stinking help. Why would I? I can do it myself. I I make enough mess. I don't need you to mess up my life further. And then, of course, hey, life is good. What's the problem here? I'm just about ready to retire. I am retired. I'm working on my Freedom 55. I'm putting pensions away. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I got my all kinds of toys. Life is great. Why would I even worry about your afterlife? Why would I even worry about your Jesus? Why would I even worry about your Bible? And of course, how is it you think you've got the truth when there are billions of people out in the world who don't believe as you say? After all, there might be, and I speak statistically here, about 2 billion possible uh, nominal category statistically Christians. That doesn't mean they're all born again. I'm just taking the stats as that category. 
but there is 7 to 8 billion in the world. So that means there's about 75%. They don't see it like you and I see it. That's a big number. And more and more, we're meeting those people as you interact in society. And so what do we do? How do we work this out? Well, first of all, we have to go back to the Word of God. What does the Bible teach about Jesus' methods? And as we said a couple of weeks ago, you have to boil it down. Just like the man on the left side of your screen was boiling down uh, lavender uh, petals, 150 pounds to make one pound of oil of lavender. And uh, that was his little still that he was working with. He's pretty proud of that. And then on the right, we have the maple sapping. And we talked about that, how you need 40 gallons or 40 liters. 40 gallons to make one gallon, 40 liters to make one liter. You have to boil it down. And so you have to do the same with the Word of God. You have to see what he was saying. You see, there are those who say, well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Uh, That's true. But that doesn't mean that he used just friendship evangelism. Or Jesus was one who was the truth. Yet he did not constantly correct people. You know, think about that. He knew the right from wrong in every circumstance that he walked. And yet he wasn't constantly, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong. You know, we do that sometimes as Christians. We sense what somebody else is doing and we want to come in there and, you know, that's sin? What you just did there? And that's it. You know, how many people did Jesus hear blaspheming? And yet, I never once heard him rebuke somebody for blaspheming. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take a stand at times. There's a calling for each one of us. So I'm not going to profess to suggest it. I know exactly how God wants to work with you. But it's simply this. Jesus never used the Bible to hurt people. He never once did harm to anyone when he presented the message of love and of good news. And in fact, there are those who would go out in the street corner, jump up on a soapbox, and shout it out. And there is a place for shouting it out. Scripture is clear. Even John the Baptist was told to go out and shout it out. You know, prepare the way of the Lord. But it says of Jesus, in Matthew's account, 12 and 19, he will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He didn't have to do that. So let's look at the five principles that I've been able to boil down as best as I can for how Jesus witnessed. First principle, he came as a man. Why why is that so important? Well, he says, as you've sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. He's talking to his father. That's from John 17. That's from the prayer. And he's addressing the father. He says, look, at just the way you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And that goes for us. Because later on in that prayer he says, and I'm not praying for these alone, but for those who will believe after. Praise God, that's you and me. So how did Jesus get sent in the world? Well, there's the picture. And I love that little picture because that little child, it looks so tranquil, so gentle. And the same is true again in John 20, at the very end, after the resurrection, he says, he shows his disciples And he repeats his greeting, Peace I say to you, just as the Father sent me, I send you. Twice. That's critical. When he repeats himself, it's like a father or a mother. When they, I told you this before, I'm repeating myself, did you not get it the first time? 
he does this. And he's saying, I am sending you just like the Father sent me. So how is a little baby like us in our witnessing? First of all, defenseless. Oh, I don't like it when I'm defenseless. Do you ever notice that? Some of us like to sit at the back of a restaurant with our back against the wall so we can see everybody that comes in. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that comes from my old days, so I just uh, I have to say that that's something I'm losing, but just the same. Defenseless. No one likes to be in a position. You know, I think of uh, those who are in police work. You, you know, you're, you're running to a scene of a crime and all of a sudden you realize, uh-uh, I left my gun at home. <laughs> Not a good situation, right? But we are called to become like Jesus. And he walks around and allows himself to be defenseless. The mighty God, the ruler of this universe. And yet he portrays himself as weak. He has no visible power in and of himself, although there is many times he displays those supernatural acts. And we don't want to minimize that, but we're talking about his manhood here. And there's no threat from a baby. I mean, there's nothing that I and you enjoy more. Pick up a little toddler and they come over and they throw their arms around you and, and you just go, oh, that was, that was sweet. I had got my hug this morning. That was good. And uh, they're, they're just, nobody gets afraid of a baby. No one should be afraid of you and I when we witness for Jesus. Our witness should be so sweet and so loving and so gentle that when they see us, they're not saying in their hearts, "Uh uh-oh, here comes this person, they're going to hit me over the head with a Bible verse again. But rather, here comes this friend who is genuinely interested in what's going on. So he came as a child. Of course, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted, become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He reminds us of that very truth. And he goes on to call them to him and says, let the little children come to me, Luke 18, verse 16. And so, over and over again, there is this thought, the kingdom belongs to children. We who are older are still children. Principle two is he came as God. If we just said that was the only one principle, we'd be missing so much. And God is all-powerful and miraculous and doing mighty works and authoritative, all-knowing, able to change current situations, sovereign. Nothing and no one can thwart him. And that's why in Matthew 28, 18 and 19 and 20, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven. Go therefore. We are not called to witness because we have it in ourselves. We are called to witness because we are his ambassadors. I like what someone was saying this week. The, uh, you know, the, that 18-wheeler that's cruising through town, it's got amazing power. And you see an 18-wheeler coming from the south, and you see an 18-wheeler coming from the north, and they both have amazing horsepower, and they're powerful, and you wouldn't want to stand in front of them. And there's that little light bulb that turns red and has very little power. And yet, the trucker screeches to a halt. We have our authority in Jesus. We have our ability and power in Him. It's not in and of ourselves. And so, He is God, as well as man. He was worshipped as God. Now, here's the point that some have said, we're having a little study this week, Becky and I were discussing this thought, 
friend had come to her and said, where in the Bible does it say Jesus was worshipped? You should check it out sometime. Just do a little word study with the word worshipped in the New Testament. I discovered that there were quite a few occasions where Jesus was worshipped. Now, if Jesus is not God and he's worshipped, then that's idolatry and that's wrong. The scripture is clear, Exodus 20, verses 2 to 5. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. You will not make yourself a carved image. You will not bow down to them nor serve them. And yet, it was the wise men in Matthew 2, verses 11, that came and worshipped him and opened their treasures and presented gifts. It was the leper who came in Matthew 8, 2 and worshipped him. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he said, I am willing. I am willing. It was the ruler who came and worshipped him in Matthew 9.18. My daughter has just died. Come, lay your hand on her and she will live. What a profound statement. She has just died and you can make her live. Wow. And of course, the disciples over and over again. I have one verse here in Matthew 14:33. They were on the boat and worshipped him. This was after the calming of the sea. Truly you are the Son of God, they said of him. And so Jesus is both a man and he's also God. And for that reason, we can witness because we can be weak and defenseless and quiet and gentle, but we can also be authoritative and powerful in God's plans. He not only proclaimed himself as God, and this is an important thing, ten times in the Gospel of John, Jesus definitively identifies himself as the I Am that spoke to Moses. Ten times. I'm just going to briefly run through them. They'll be on the PowerPoint later on so you can look back at them. John 4.26, talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, I who speak to you, Am he. Ego eimi is the phrase in Greek. That's very important because he's talking to a woman and he's talking to a Samaritan and he's talking to a despised and he's talking to a sinner and he's talking to one who should not have had any place in the Jewish mindset of talking to him because she was unclean. And I love that because he keeps talking to me. And I too am an unclean vessel. I too although cleansed by his power and by his might and his love, I too have all the trappings of sinful actions through every day. And so he says in John 8, 24, I said to you, therefore, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. And he goes on to say, even more strongly, he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. And Jesus said to them in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. Egoimi. And uh, I'll just flip through the other verses. The blind man spoke to him and said, I am the one. And then in John 13, you may believe that I am. You may believe that he is the great I am. So those of us who are listening to my voice today, who have said that Jesus is a prophet, Jesus is a teacher, Jesus is a, a great man, but have never said that Jesus is God of gods and King of kings and Lord of lords, then you have missed the main thrust of who died for you. He is the I Am. Even when they came to him in the garden, he displayed himself as the I Am and then knocked him over. And they fell on the ground. 
that burst of radiance that came out at that time. So we have power to witness. As believers, you and I have power. Now, we have to be careful because they always, the electricians say in our midst, be careful because uh, a spark can go two ways. <laughs> and you can get the end result of power as well. So be careful what you do with power. But here are some verses that speak. I, I want to challenge us as believers. John 5.20 says that the Father loves the Son and shows all things that he himself is doing and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. And then Jesus himself said in John 14, 12, The works that I do, he will do. Who? The one who believes in me. And greater works than these, he will do. Have you done anything greater than Jesus today? Have you done anything greater than Jesus yesterday? Think about it. This verse is meant for us today. And we sit back in our quasi-comfort zones, in our little worlds where everything's marshmallows and pillows and nice and comfort. And he says, you will do greater things if you believe in me because I go to the Father. This isn't just applied to the apostles. It's for here and now. And he expected full obedience as God. Now that's unique. I don't go around telling people to obey me. Well, maybe sometimes, um, you know, if there's something that's really critical and maybe somebody's going to get hurt, I might shout it out. But you know what? Most of us don't go around like that. He said, follow me. 19 times in the Gospels. 11 unique times he said it to his disciples. And guess what? As soon as he said, follow me, he also said, and I'm going to make you a fisherman. A fisher of men. So, he doesn't just want ice fishing people. You know, like, I love ice fishing. I love being able to sit out on the ice, have a little campfire, a little hot chocolate, little hot dogs, maybe some s'mores, sit around and swap some tails. Who cares if we catch a fish? You know, we're just having fun, right? And that's the way we treat evangelism, unfortunately. We say, who cares if somebody comes into the meetings? We, we had fun. We went out and did some door-to-door visitation. We, had, we prayed for people. Um, we had a little hoedown and uh, enjoyed, enjoyed our company. And we're not fishing because we're not catching. He wants people brought in. When was the last time you invited someone to a meeting? I know we don't expect people to come to faith in Christ at this meeting. Well, maybe we should. But if we don't bring people that don't know Jesus, how are they going to come to know the one who we love and the one who saved us? The third is the principle of love. For Jesus came always, always with love. There was no anger that love was not commingled with. There was no power that love was not meeting it out in appropriate ways. He had love to heal, forgive, change hearts, and of course to offer himself on that cross in our place. We were reminded this morning at the Lord's Supper as we gathered together of how deep the Father's love is for us. And we've been reminded as we sang these hymns this morning. And I was reminded as we were meditating and thinking and loving the Lord just how great his gift was to us. He said to the Roman soldiers, I thirst. 
And we don't get it. We don't get it because we weren't there. And we think that that was a clear words, I thirst. And my, the, my thought this morning was, no, he probably could barely gurgle out those words as he hung there on that cross. And why was he saying that? Because he knew the soldier below was looking at him and wondering if he was dead, looking up. And he's saying, I thirst. Why did he say that? Well, he did thirst, but there was something more. That soldier had a hyssop rod and a sponge. And he dips it in sour wine. He puts it up on, his, on the stick. And he gives it to him. And what does he say? It's finished! Paid in full. Done. Complete. And to my, thy hands I command my spirit. And he bows his head and dies. He needed that lubrication for the throat. You know, Joe, I haven't had a chance to do this recently. Oh, that's so good. But if you were hanging on a cross, oh, the thirst, the dehydration that you would experience would be just unbelievable. In Psalm 51, the psalmist says, Purge me with hyssop and I will be whiter than snow. And the Lord Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, the new covenant in my blood, which is given for everyone. And so, a reminder, he came as a messenger of love. Wow. A lovely thought that he came to pronounce, it is finished. It is done. The work is complete. Well, he didn't just come to as a message of love, but Paul tells us in Romans that when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And much more, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What you see in front of you is a bus, a jeep, a messenger of love. It happened on January 22nd, 1999. A gentleman by the name of Graham Staines, who had been working with the leprosy mission in India, was at a gathering of local Christians, and the militant Hindus came to him while he and his sons were sleeping in their jeep and burned the jeep. They set fire to his vehicle, and he and his sons died in the ensuing flames. That was an amazing message of love. And that message of love that he brought is a message that we're supposed to bring, that message that is willing to sacrifice. So the fourth principle that Jesus brings is he treats people with kindness and respect. And this comes from John chapter 8. The passage in front of us is a passage of the 
scholars coming to Jesus, coming to him with a woman caught in the act of adultery. And that woman coming in the act, caught in the act of adultery, they bring him the question, what do you say? Moses in the law gave orders to stone such persons, and they were seeking to trap him. Jesus bent down and wrote in the sand. And finally, he said, the sinless among you, go first, throw the stone. And hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Now, how would you feel if you were trying to witness to someone and tell them the message of hope? And all of a sudden, this person is left alone. And you are the message of hope. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what Jesus had the opportunity today. And he could have said, um, just want you to know I'm the Messiah. He could have said that. He could have said, by the way, um, what you're doing was wrong and you really need to become a disciple of mine. He didn't say that quite that way. He just said, woman, where are uh, your condemners? And she said, they're not here. No one, Master. And uh, he says, neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Oh, I love what he said there. He said, don't sin. And I challenge those who have not yet had faith in Christ. True faith. Genuine, repentant, born-again faith. Try it. Try to live the perfect life. Try to follow the commands. Try to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Guess what? It'll drive you to your knees because you'll give up. You eventually will have to give up say, I can't do this. And then he says, yes, that's right, you can't. I just wanted you to know that you cannot serve me without me inside you, without the Holy Spirit working in your life, without a new life, without a new heart, without that new heart that he talks about in Jeremiah. And so the principle then is always to treat others with respect. Final principle, the fifth principle, he talks about radical change. Now, radical change is quite interesting because uh, Luke 9.57, a story of someone who was coming along to him and said, I'll go with you wherever you want. And Jesus was curt. Are you really going to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns, you know. Jesus said to another, follow me. And he said, certainly, but first, excuse me for a couple of days, I have to go to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Jesus refused, saying, first things first, your business is life, not death. Life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Wow. Pretty powerful, radical change. And then, of course, he also talks about the real need for radical change because we're constantly looking back. So he said to another, I'm ready to follow you, Master, but first, excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. And Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. Now, this is the message, and I enjoy their liberties that they take in the, the passages. But I think they get the tenor, those who have worked on this, this, uh, this paraphrase. Seize the day. So the, first principle, the fifth principle then, be radical about your change. Yes, Jesus did not come into this world to make life better. He came into this world to bring us out of death and into life. And so I challenge you again. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16 said, What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your entire household. And that's the good news we share. 
And as we call up our music team to the front for their final hymn, uh, we will just encourage you to take this hymn and make it your prayer of dedication. And I'll ask Trevor if he would close us in prayer. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.